I want to ask you this morning what you expect from Jesus. No, really. I mean, you've been around, some of you, for a long time, but what do you expect from Jesus? Do you expect him to look like he looks in the movies? Maybe you expect some mild-mannered, nice person who keeps all the rules. Or maybe you expect a serious Savior who expects you to toe the line. Or maybe you expect one who fits perfectly into your religious box. On the other hand, you might expect a holy son of God who is bound to be disappointed in you. Or maybe you expect that he'll respond to your hard work or somehow your moral perfection. Maybe you expect a miracle worker who will immediately transform every bad situation that you have and eliminate all your pain. Well, Matthew, in his gospel, has been doing nothing if not challenging us about our expectations of Jesus this whole time. And it's fair to say that Jesus did not meet the expectations of the first century Jews who saw Him and listened to Him, and I suspect that it's fair to say that He won't meet ours either. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9 this morning. And as we look here, you'll see that Jesus surprises a few people. Particularly, he surprises those who are the most religious. Matthew 9, beginning verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they'll fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worse, a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins. 
And so both are preserved. Well, not only is there a surprise earlier, but this last section highlights for us that Jesus isn't exactly conforming to the expectations of the people who are looking for him. He also, he also informs us by his example that following Jesus will demand a new way of living. So we must alter our expectations and our lives to fit Jesus, not alter Jesus to fit our lives. Jesus cannot comfortably be patched in to your already religious life. The key points in this text come in the form of questions. And more specifically, questions about food. And so, that's the way I want to structure my talk this morning. I'm going to add a couple of questions because there are a couple parts that uh, are outside of the ones that are in the text. But I do want to ask four questions about our expectations of Jesus. And those four questions will invite us to follow Him differently. And so really, that's the first question. The first question is this. Will you follow Jesus? Now I recognize by leading with that, I'm already messing with your expectations. Those of you who have been in church a long time, right? Because you know the altar call comes at the end. But here we have at the beginning the altar call, don't we? Jesus passed by there and saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth and he said, follow me, and he rose and followed him. The first thing that happens is that Jesus uh, invites Matthew to follow him. Matthew records his own conversion, his own come-to-Jesus moment. Likely, he had seen Jesus around town. And perhaps he was curious. Why were all these people following? What did he have to say? I don't know. Maybe he was fed up with government work, even though that would certainly be more lucrative than following Jesus. We do know that the way that tax collectors financed themselves was to skim off the top or take a little extra uh, taxes from those who had to pay Rome. It was as though they just created their own tips, you might say. Now, <laughs> April 15th is right around the corner. And I suspect that not too many of us are happy about that. But we'd be less happy about it if we were planning to pay our taxes and then know that whoever saw it's just going to take some extra and nothing we can do about that. This would have made Matthew an outcast and, shall we say, less than popular. I, I imagine, I don't know if it's quite the thing here in Gladstone as it is in West Lynn, but they're going to toll 205, right? I mean, imagine the person who sits in that toll booth on the first day, right? And not going to be a popular guy. His name is Matthew. That's the way Matthew, I think, is perceived by the general public. 
And when Jesus invited him, you'll notice, he didn't hesitate. He just rose up and followed Jesus. That simple. That's all he did. He just immediately left what he was doing, didn't give two weeks notice, just followed Jesus. And so that's why I want to start there. This morning, you might not really be sure why you're in church today. But I want you to know you're in church today to hear Jesus invite you to follow Him. And let me say that Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to do just what Matthew did to get up and follow Him. And so that's the question this morning, the first one. Will you follow Jesus? The second question is one that actually Jesus is asked. I want to frame it this way. Do you get it? Do you understand why Jesus came into the world? Not just do you know it. But do you get it? Do you understand at a gut level why Jesus came into this world? You'll see that he's really asked that very question. Um, Beginning in verse 10, he reclined at the table in Matthew's house. And behold, there were tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining, eating with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked our question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now this would kind of blow their expectations. They expected a Messiah that was fairly well behaved. They expected one who would be a good Jew, keeping all of the rituals and all of the laws and all of the rules. And Jesus apparently isn't. There are several things I want you to notice about this. I want you to notice the immediacy of Matthew's hospitality. Matthew just started following Jesus. He didn't have to go to an evangelism class. He didn't have to get some sort of indoctrination. He just said, I'm following Jesus I'd love it if my friends would follow Jesus. And so he threw a big party so his friends could be introduced to Jesus. Which makes me think that if you truly experience the new life that Jesus brings, you will want other people to know. It's really that simple. That it's not practicing four spiritual laws or some other evangelistic presentation as though you're going to argue people or preach people into the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Matthew is about at all. What Matthew is about is just getting people close to Jesus. I think it would be so fantastic if that's how we saw what we do in this world. We just want to get people in proximity to Jesus. Or I could change it a little bit. 
and suggest that it's, you can think about it this way. You will be unlike Jesus if you simply hang around with Christians. Let me say that again. If all you do socially is hang around with other people who are part of the church, you're not going to be like Jesus. Because that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to hang around with tax collectors and sinners. How long has it been since you've had a meal with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? Now even as I say that, I just can see the guilt sort of wash over some of you. But I want you to notice what a low-pressure environment this is. I mean, if you look at your Bible, there is no pressure anywhere. They're having a party. They are having a good time. They are doing nothing but hanging out together. And Jesus is the reason. Because really, this is exactly the mission statement of our church to engage people who are disconnected from God so that they delight in Him through Jesus. And the delight comes in a, in a moment. But there's no wrestling people to the ground, forcing them to take the four spiritual There's none of that. Nobody gets coerced here. Jesus overhears the question. I think it's, I, I think it's hilarious that they don't ask Jesus. Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I think they're afraid of doing that. So they go to the disciples. And they say, now tell me, why is your master eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus gives the scriptural answer, doesn't he? He says, these people are not distasteful to me. And I'm not going to fit in a religious box. And I'm not worried about being unclean by hanging out with them. His response is very simply, the doctor does not come for the healthy, but for the sick. The Savior doesn't come for the righteous, but for the sinners. What Jesus is about is coming to love people who need love. And this is, this is fantastic. Because this, this connects to all of what we know already about Jesus from, from Matthew. The very thing when, when people brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, the very first thing he did was forgive his sins before he healed him physically, wasn't it? This connects Jesus' authority to forgive sins with his desire to be with sinners. So the very same thing that we saw Jesus do a moment ago, now he does it in a social setting. So there's another side to this. I mean, the first side is, if you're going to be like Jesus, yes, 
Do you know people? Do you spend time with people? Do you eat with people who don't know Jesus yet? But the other side of this is glorious, and many of us this morning need this too. And that is that Jesus came for sinners. And you will never want Jesus and find him unwilling to to accept you. You will never come to Jesus and have him say, just a minute, straighten up, get your act together, you're not good enough for me. See, Jesus doesn't do that, does he? In fact, Jesus does, actively does the opposite. Actively, Jesus says, no, don't bother me. I'm hanging out here with my friends. These are the people I came for. This is what I want to be doing. And so we have Jesus loving and hosting and having a meal with people who were at the bottom. The people who were outcasts and you were least likely to expect him to spend time with. Now, it's one thing, it's one thing to see that. It's another thing then for Jesus to say, I believe the Bible. You don't really read that there, right? But he says, I believe the Bible. Because what he does then is he quotes Hosea 6.6. And he points out to them that his behavior is his way of living out what the Bible says. And he tells them, you should go and learn what this means. In other words, make an effort. Make an effort to learn what this means. Go show mercy and compassion to those who are on the outside, to those who are outcasts. And I suspect he would probably say it the same way to us, wouldn't he? Go and make an effort. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I just love that Jesus wants to feast here with his friends. And they're the ones that are on the outside, the ones that are hurting, and the ones that need him. And there's a tension right there because because the whole Gospel of Matthew has been, Jesus has been trying to turn life right side up again when in other words, otherwise was upside down. In right side up living means that even the way that we eat has a view to the kingdom of heaven. Even what we do in our leisure and in the off hours points to the kingdom of heaven. And so do you get it? Do you get it at your heart level? He came. Jesus came to include sinners came for people like you and like me. Not just to eat with us, but to invite us into this eternal feast. To welcome us into His kingdom. And we'll see that next.
So in verses 14 and 15 then, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Interestingly, another question about food from someone else. And Jesus doesn't answer the question about fasting, and he doesn't even really state an answer. He answers the question with the question, which is what Jesus likes to do. And so they would generally, it was general practice to, to go without food a couple days a week, probably from sunrise to sunset. And to do that as a means of devotion, to let people know that you were really serious about your religion. John's disciples did it, the Pharisees did it. Jesus already brought that up, said don't let people know and, uh, that when you fast that you, you know, get your face all shriveled up and look like you're miserable. Don't do that. This has already been an issue for Jesus. But now he wants to say, you know what, uh, yeah, my disciples don't fast. Well, why not? Because the issue is not the food or the lack of the food. But rather, it's about the wedding feast. It's interesting how he just turns it to this wedding feast. And the bridegroom is here, so why would you fast? Why would, why would you mourn? Why would you be upset when the very uh, uh, center of attention is with you? And so Jesus says that the fasting here has a reason. And the reason is to mourn. You, you fast out of sadness. You don't fast to show piety or to let God know you're really serious about this particular prayer or to somehow leverage your goodness so that God has to answer you. You fast to mourn separation from Jesus. The fasting expresses a heart that's broken because the object of your affection, the one who has loved you like you've never been loved before, is gone. So fasting is mourning for a broken relationship. And the only other way then that fasting is used in the New Testament, it's only used twice, uh, in another way, is to, when they select leaders. It's really interesting because we do talk about fasting and prayer. It's used to select leaders and it's used to express the sadness over a broken relationship. And so what does this mean to us then? I mean, we regularly have days of prayer and fasting. It's one of the things that uh, I hope our church will be marked by. And so we might pray and fast for discernment. The church did do that when they were uh, selecting their leaders. But we fast to mourn or lament the absence of Jesus 
in the condition of the world. To fast, then, is to express that you would love to be closer to Jesus than you are. Now, he has given us his Holy Spirit. It isn't like the only thing we do is be sad and upset. Because there's a couple things happening here. But it's very interesting that these are back to back. Because there is feasting and there is fasting. We fast out of a desire to have closer communion with Jesus. We feast because He's left His Spirit here. We fast because the world is broken. And we feast because there's coming a day when there's going to be a great feast and all will be made right. We are stuck in this in-between time, the now and the not yet, when we're not really sure should we be fasting or feasting. The answer is yes. We should be doing both. But we should be doing both with a view to the kingdom of heaven. The feast will have a glorious fulfillment. And the fasting represents our persistent longing for that great and glorious feast. So the way that we eat and the way that we don't eat are both oriented around the kingdom of heaven. I mean, think about that. Some of us, some of us, well, some of us have lunch in a little while, right? And I hope, right, you'll pray before the meal. Some of you'll fuss at your children because they don't. But really, the point is not do you say the right words or do you have to do this before you eat? The point of it is that even our eating points us to the kingdom of heaven. And may every meal that you partake, may that remind you that one day there's going to be a great and glorious feast where Jesus will be the center of attention and all wrongs will be made right and all tears will be wiped away. And we long for that. So when you're not eating, you're longing for that great and glorious day. And so the essence of this question then is do you desire to be close to Jesus? Is that your heart's desire? And that brings us then to this fourth question that I want to ask you. And that's are you Patching Jesus into a life that is built without him? Are you merely adding Jesus to a life that's good enough already? Or let me ask it another way. Is Jesus remaking your life or simply being added to your life. That's, I think, what he's addressing in verses 16 and 17. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, 
and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed and the new wine is put into fresh wineskins. So both are preserved. The expectation of these religious leaders is that Jesus would behave as a normal Jewish rabbi. Certainly the Messiah would be a model citizen. I think Jesus communicating with this new wine, uh, old wineskin parable, really, that he's not even trying. He's not even trying to fit in to their vision of the world. He's not trying to perpetuate their Judaism. If they try and make him fit in, he's going to destroy it. And so the same thing is true for us. Are we trying to fit Jesus into our vision of the world? Are we trying to fit him into our uh, economic comfort? Are we trying to fit him in to our way of doing family? Are we trying to fit him in to our politics? Are we trying to fit him in to what we conceive of to be church? Or are we letting him remake all of that? Because you could be the most religious person here and Jesus won't fit your religiosity. You go to church your whole life and Jesus will tear out what you think you know about Him. You might be able to parse every last fragment of doctrine only to have Jesus unend it, upend it. Because Jesus didn't come to be sewed on to your already good life. See, I love this because this isn't, this isn't what I expect. I expect Jesus to come, and when he comes, to come to church. I expect Jesus to come and fit in with all the rest of us. That's what I would think Jesus would do. But it isn't what he, what he does. When Jesus calls Matthew, follow me, what does Jesus do? He goes to eat with tax collectors and sinners. So that he communicates very clearly to you and to me. You are welcome with Jesus. You, you can come however you are. You can be as unhappy and miserable as you want and Jesus will accept you. You can have the past that you're completely ashamed of only to be embraced by Jesus. You see, that's what Jesus is telling us here. And most of us don't think that's, that's what he came to do. Most of us think, yeah, well, someday I'll get it cleaned up. Someday I'll be good enough. Someday, Jesus isn't about someday. This is about the first day, right? Matthew comes, and then he's with tax collection sinners, just like that. You come to Jesus, you will be welcome. 
So you can expect him to call and to pursue sinners. You can expect him to call and pursue you. You can expect him to upend religious notions about how we ought to behave, about how Jesus ought to behave. Jesus wasn't about being religious. Jesus was about loving those who needed love. He wasn't about fasting when he didn't need to be sad. He was about feasting in anticipation of the glorious day when all will be made new. Now, if you don't experience him like that, if you aren't all in like that, mourning and fasting would be appropriate. And then, of course, those of you who do follow Jesus, you have to know, right? That Jesus himself at the end of his life said, as my Father sent me, so I'm sending you. If the Father sent Jesus to eat with tax collectors and sinners, what do you suppose he sent you to do? I don't say that to make people feel guilty. I say that because living in the kingdom of heaven, living for Jesus, is the way to be most fulfilled, to be most happy, to be most human. That's what Jesus has been telling us, is the way to have the best life is to follow Jesus and trust Him. And don't expect him to fit comfortably in your otherwise happy and religious life. Because you try and put him in something old, tear it apart. And so, I want to ask you this morning, will you follow Jesus? And will you join him in the pursuit of those who need him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus isn't embarrassed to hang around with people like me. Thank you that we are invited to his feast. Father, would you help us to draw near to him, to be remade by him, to have our priorities shaped by Jesus. Forgive us to the degree that we try and fit him into our otherwise um, comfortable religious lives. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.